Thank you for joining us for Market Conversations. I'm Natalie Pearson from the City of Melbourne. The Council is currently leading the $250 million renewal of the iconic Queen Victoria Market, the largest infrastructure investment in the City of Melbourne's history. Through the five-year renewal program, we want to retain and restore the Queen Victoria Market's heritage while also improving facilities for traders, customers and our visitors. Everything we do is about ensuring the market is viable for future generations. To coincide with the World Union of Wholesale Markets Congress, held in Melbourne, Australia in October 2017, we've recorded a short series of podcasts. As part of the conference, several international market experts visited our city. We took the opportunity to talk to them about their own experiences in market renewal. In this podcast, I'm talking to René van Gogh from Den Haag in the Netherlands. René has over 35 years' experience in real estate investments, development and transformation projects. He's also known as one of the Netherlands' leading specialists in the development of food concepts and inner-city revival schemes, often mixing these two together. Thanks for joining us, René, and welcome to Melbourne. How are you enjoying our city so far? I'm having a very enjoyable stay in, uh, in this city. It's Lovely. Spring is coming out and the city reminds me very much of my uh, my home working city of Rotterdam. Uh, similar sky sights and, uh, and the f- atmosphere in the city is very, very relaxed and open. So we are having a great time. Good. I'm glad to hear you're enjoying it. Now, you have quite an interesting career history in that you started out working as an asset manager and now you're considered one of your country's leading specialists in food concepts. These are two very different industries. Can you talk us through this evolution? At the beginning of my career, I was uh, given a chance by the insurance companies I used to work for, what type of investment I would like to uh, specialise in, and I choose real estate development and investment. And the company I used to work for was one of the largest investors in shopping centres, so retail, general retail. And over the years, I became involved in inner city redevelopments, regeneration projects. Invariably, you tend to encounter more food type of activities, supermarkets, markets, that kind of uh, kind of activities. And actually, I found out quite early in my career in the late 90s that food is very much in, into my DNA. I only found out recently, for example, that my grandparents were market traders in fruit and veg, and I didn't even know that because my parents withheld that because they wanted us to become something else. That's very interesting. What was their perception of, about that industry that avoided them telling you about it? Hard work, low on the, on the ladder of social status, um, low income, and... Um, so, so my, my grandparents, they moved to a shop quite soon afterwards, and that's how I came to know them when I was born. Uh, but yeah, somewhere food is, has always been in my DNA, and during these projects of uh, regeneration of city centres, mainly in our largest cities in Amsterdam, uh, The Hague and Rotterdam, I got involved in uh, quite complex structures with a more owners, um, multiple owners, um, and I was actually uh, trying to create concepts for these areas. And in doing so, I got involved in the uh, design of the Rotterdam Market Hall because just prior to the development of the Rotterdam Market Hall, I had also created a organic uh, shopping mall in this in the city centre of Rotterdam, which has just uh, had its twentieth uh, anniversary this year. Huge success. 
And I got so much, you know, passion and energy out of it. I just dived into this Rotterdam Market Hall thing. And you own a restaurant in yeah. the Market Hall? I'm a firm believer that if you are into concept development and into consultancy, it's good to uh, to get your hands dirty from time to time. And I was working on both the Rotterdam Market Hall together with friends from Denmark who are working on the Danish Copenhagen uh, Market Hall there. And we were talking about the best concept possible for uh, for any market hall. So we decided to copy one out of Denmark called 21 Pinchos. And um, we started that off. And uh, it's now three years old. And for two years on a row, we've been voted best Spanish restaurant in our country. Congratulations. That's Thank very you. exciting. Yeah, yeah. So let's come back to food production in the Netherlands. Mm. Some people may not realise that the Netherlands is actually one of the world's largest exporters of agricultural and food products. After the US, the Netherlands exports more food than any other country. How did your country become such a strong player in this field? I think trading of any kind is very much in the DNA of the Dutch. And we have our harbour facilities and normally we would export to Germany, our largest neighbour, and a country we're very akin to. And we've always been in the business of making stuff and, and, and trading it. But greenhouse growing is uh, for reasons that I don't, I can't particularly point out, uh, a typically Dutch thing. And over the years, it's evolved to the entire food chain. So from livestock to poultry to um, to fr- fruit, vegetables and flowers, of course, because we're a large flower producer as well. And it's, um, it's an industry that has grown and grown and has brought us a lot of wealth. But at the moment, it's working against us because the land claim, the environmental claims are such that... Uh, our public um, health is actually being endangered. Well, food production's actually come a long way, probably since the end of World War II. Families used to locally source their food production was in a local environment, whereas it then moved to larger factories. Uh, we saw that period where food was abundant, it was cheap, it was non-perishable, and so people stocked their cupboards. However, in recent years, it's really been a shift towards reconnecting with our food production and understanding where food is coming from. How have you seen this play out in the Netherlands? We've seen it play out over the past 10 years in a very vocal way because I think the Dutch don't trust institutions or authorities and they don't like being told to uh, to do anything uh, if they're not you know, firmly behind it themselves. And after all these incidents we had in the food chain and also the awareness that most of our children haven't got a clue where milk comes from or how, what a cow looks like. Um, we had all these activistic NGOs in Holland, like uh, Wake Up Animal, uh, which is a, a, a very keen one, uh, and that started helping people out to become more aware of how the food chain actually worked, and that this romantic notion of how it was in the late 40s or 50s has completely disappeared, and it's just produce on an in- industrial scale. And the perishable aspect was completely lost to the people. So I would nearly say that from one moment to the next, we just had this shift in Holland where people said, listen, we've had enough. No more industrial approach, no more silent farms way out in, uh, in, in our country where we don't know what's happening. We want to see our food. And you're involved in a project called Urban Farmers where it brings that farm into the city. Can you tell me a little bit more about that project? Urban farming in Holland is a very hot topic 
And the company I'm working for is a Swiss technology company called um, Urban Farmers. And they use an uh, aquaponic system where they have a rooftop greenhouse where they grow fruit and vegetables. And the nutritions from these products go into fish tanks and they feed the fish. And the excrements of the fish is being recycled into the feeding of the the vegetables. So it's a closed circuit and it's highly organic and it hardly uses any water. So we grow fish and we grow vegetables and then we sell them business to consumer. So we just sell them at markets, uh, in in, in supermarkets and, and dedicated stores or to food services. But we also do a lot of business to business to hospitals and that kind of stuff. And on the other hand, we have now um, many social enterprises where rooftop farming is, for example, combined with education, where we have school gardens and where we have old age pensioners who have a knowledge about gardening, help out in schools and we grow our own stuff. So people are learning at the same time that the food is being grown. Absolutely. What a great idea. In actual fact, last week, our largest supermarket store, that's Ajo del Herz, which is one of the largest in the world because they have a very great appearance in the United States, they announced that they are going to start... uh, refurbishing 120 storerooms of their large premises and turn them into public rooftop farms where you can pick your own stuff. You can even grow on demand, which is very good. It's not supply-driven, it's demand-driven. That's very innovative. I definitely see a shift in supermarkets these days where even the display of produce is replicating a market atmosphere. What is it about the Hmm. market that people really love and, and what is it that makes it special and unique? Oh, I think... Two things stand out in in particular. It is the appearance of abundance, of seeing a lot of food, of a Chinese wall of apples. And the other thing is it's people-driven. Your everyday traditional supermarket is just a very cold box you enter. Um, You do your, your shopping, but you're hardly aware of any interaction with people. It's very, very unpersonal. While the market... The romantic notion of the market is that it's people's business and that's what we crave for. That personal connection. And the other thing is supermarkets, their margins are under such huge pressure because they fight amongst each other that they are looking for new earning models and involving fresh food or processing food is is an an earning model in itself. So coming back to that uh, concept you mentioned before about the um, on the top of the supermarkets and and growing Mm -hmm. that produce at the top, is that successful? Are people latching on to that idea? Well, Urban Farmers is uh, successful in Switzerland, is struggling in, in the Netherlands for a very silly reason, and that is they were appointed the wrong location. They were in a regeneration area where the owner thought that his particular premises would become a sort of hub. But then a couple of years later, the infrastructure around it was uh, got a different layout. So they're now actually um, in some sort of nowhere land. And th- that is a pity. So people don't go to the place. They know of it. But we have to do an awful lot of work to get heard and seen. So what would be the right location? Not necessarily in a city, but close to public uh, buildings like schools, housing area. Uh, It doesn't necessarily have to be a rooftop, but it could also be a privately run type of farm thing, not too large, where you allow people to 
become members or participate in and because it also it works miracles for social structure talking about food and working with food not only cooking it but growing it brings people together from all walks of life. So the Queen Victoria Market here in Melbourne, it's in one of the high growth areas for Melbourne. Melbourne is Australia's fastest growing city and and with this growth comes an increasing demand for local services, convenience with retailing, shopping, entertainment, social venues. What role do you see the Queen Victoria Market playing in a high growth area like the City North Precinct? I think they can become the socio-economic food hub in the city, a centre of huge importance. And I may come across as a bit cynical, but the market is so run down at the moment that everything you're going to do is better than the current state. Having said that, this is a perfect opportunity to upgrade the market and introduce all these services, but also get the people around it more involved in into the market. So it's not just a market for traders. It's a market for food in every stage. Um, and it's also a place to meet and cement relations. As part of the renewal plan, we are looking to create some open space over the top of what is now the car park. Yeah. You've had experience in developing areas like this in the Netherlands and and you talk about younger people invading spaces. Can you explain that a little more to us about how you create that vibe in an open space? A public space needs clear boundaries so you can feel safe inside it. But uh, to give you an example, and that's what I advise the Queen Victoria market on, is that in Copenhagen they have a market hall consisting of two separate halls with a large public space in between. And they had on purpose not given that any particular function, but just created it. When the market hall was actually discovered by the people from Copenhagen, they also took charge of using the public space for festivals, for food truck things, for uh, tasting uh, events, but also for schools, for, for everything. And it's now a sort of spontaneous, unofficial public domain And it works. It really works a treat. And that is one of the things that I like about this plan with the the open public space. Don't over-engineer it. Just make it and see what happens. You've been quoted as saying that with plans for regeneration, it's important to leave room for serendipity. What do you mean by this? We're all inclined when making plans and thinking about strategy. We all know it's a long slog. I mean, it takes ages to do things. And in doing so, we think we can chart all the territory we are moving towards to. So we try to answer any question possible and try to make amends to it. But sometimes you just let things go, see what happens, allow yourself to make mistakes, let things fail. Uh, don't let them fail in a big way, but just give things room uh, to, to, uh, to, to grow and blossom. But don't overdo it because we're all bound to fill in all the details before, and by the time we get up and running, which is sometimes after a period of four, five, six years, we suddenly find out that we've been engineering and focusing on the wrong type of stuff. I mean, we've seen that happening in Rotterdam, and with hindsight, we can say, listen, if we had left it alone, it would have gone perfectly well. So the Queen Victoria market is undergoing 
a transformation project at the moment. What advice would you have for the leaders of this project? This is a, a very good question, but also a very difficult one to answer because I am I am deeply respectful for your sense of heritage. And I can well understand with a city as young as Melbourne that parts of your heritage are very important. But take, for example, the sheds. If we become too focused on heritage, and we also take into account that 10 years from now, your local climate during five, six months a year will be vastly different than it is now, I think it's time to reconsider whether being conservative in a good sense is the way forward. So perhaps you can cover the sheds with completely new buildings, new setups, and making them part of something that is environmentally strong, that is uh, lasting, and that perhaps gives way to, for example, vertical farming or uh, other types of, uh, of usage. But I think just conserving your heritage by actually keeping it more or less in the same form and function might turn out to be a dangerous way to go. And following along the same lines, what advice would you have for traders during this process? I have very strange advice, and that really comes out of practice. I've done a lot of major re refurbishments and renovations, and if both traders and management just switch off for that particular period of the them and us uh, attitude and get together, they can make more money than they normally would. And they certainly make more money if the new type of building that is uh, that's starting to appear over time is presented to the city and is attracting new, new type of people and it's good for traders. So traders can benefit hugely. Through the renewal project, we want to future-proof the Queen Victoria market and prepare it for our future generations. What's the best way to do that? Yes, I think apart from the serendipity element we were talking about earlier, uh, and with all respect for the, the enormous amount of work you've been putting into it, we all can acknowledge that it will take ages to finish and complete a renewal project. And you actually run the risk by focusing on the project itself to actually deliver in the end stage is a project that is way past its sell-by date by the time it's opening. You could compare this a bit with the automotive industry where most major manufacturers have a common platform strategy and that is a, a one-size-fits-all approach, but only at the latest stages, very close to delivering that product, they actually decide if it's going to be electrical, is it hybrid, is it diesel or... Is it um, multi-purpose? And in that way, you avoid of bringing something onto the market which will only last for a couple of years. So my advice would be to look firmly further ahead to uncharted territory as yet. For example, to, uh, let, let's focus on climate, climate change. I mean, your average temperatures are on the rise and they're going to rise significantly. You don't necessarily have to put measures in place just as yet in the early stages of your remodeling, but bear in mind that you don't make it impossible to do so at a later stage. So it is like creating this blank envelope and don't try to cover all the spaces with one overall master design type of thing because the future will always be different than what we think it will be. 
Okay, well, let's finish back on food production. You're very good at predicting the trends of what's next and what's coming up. What is next for our food production? What do you see or what should we expect to see in the next few years? One of the presentations during the conference that was held in uh, in the Exhibition Centre earlier this week was about the fact that innovative startups that are making healthy um, and viable convenience food are being taken over by the industry. And part of that produce is being tampered with, but all in all, it's more healthy than, for example, a bottle of Coca-Cola. What I see happening is that this trend towards preparing foodstuff in all type of stages from repackaging to actually uh, making fresh food and deliver it either at home or eat it in the shop is going to increase. And the reason why it's going to increase and why I think more fresh food traders should enter that particular market and make truly responsible food and not tempered with, not industrial food, one of the reasons why I think they should be doing this is that the demography in your cities is going to change. You have much, many more uh, single households. You have people who, are, who lack the skill to cook properly or lack the will because they have a social life which is completely different than our social life was 10 years ago. So they need food and they are aware that they need good food, but we have to get it to them. Do you see the Queen Victoria market playing a role in this? Absolutely. I think it's a crucial hub in that sense because if you are a social enterprise, and in all honesty, Social enterprise can be economically viable as well. It's not a contradiction. But if we organise this entire process within the Queen Victoria market from farm to fork, literally under one roof, and do it in a transparent way and a responsible way, and we share the knowledge with the city dwellers, I think the Queen Victoria is going to be an, an exemplary market that will get great following. Thank you, Renee. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. If you would like more information about the Queen Victoria Market Precinct Renewal Program, you can visit our website at www.melbourne.vic.gov.au forward slash Queen Victoria Market. I'm Natalie Pearson. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.